everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Psychic Medium Angelo. Tonight, a very, very special show. Chris Benoit Revisited. Before I even go any further, I am instructed by legal counsel to read the following. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the panelists and participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions, policy, or position of Wrestling with the Future Network, its network affiliates, or Wrestling with the Future TV, including Facebook, YouTube, Daily Motion, Twitter, or any other form of viable or alternative social media platforming by which we broadcast. And the opinion content provided by our panelists or guests are their own opinion only and are not intended to malign any person, persons, group of people, corporation, or in any way to bring shame upon Chris Benoit and or his family and friends, including any and all members living or deceased. Having said that, welcome to the show. We are going to take a deep dive into the murder slash murder suicide slash hit of Chris Benoit. And joining me tonight is an all-star panel. From all the way, Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> all the way in Nashville, a Jersey boy. My dear friend, the guy who was promoted for some 24 years, just call him Ricky O. Ricky Atozu, how you doing, brother? Good, man. Thank you for having me on. I look forward to this show for a couple weeks, and let, let's knock this out of the park. I should tell everybody that Ricky is going to be joining me more regularly as my uh, acting co-host. We're going to try each other on like a glove and see if we fit. And uh, and I think you're going to find that uh, we, we, we actually have quite a bit in common. Just above Ricky O., is the man called Armageddon. Mike Murphy is an independent worker of some 25 years. He, uh, he is in semi-retirement. We always say that because no wrestler ever really retires. So no, we, just get, the show. we just get fat and we play golf. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Joining Mike Murphy is Mike Kelleher, the guy called Mad Mike. Ed Mike Kelleher, he is our our resident in-house um, television star, quite frankly. He is, what, don't, don't hang your head in shame, be proud of it, sir. He is uh, a, a one, one part and parcel of Legacy List with Matt Paxson. You, of course, know Matt Paxson as the host of Hoarders, or one of the people that host Hoarders, and uh, Mike is his... Uh, stuff, are we still saying stuff guy or are we calling it merchandise expert? Uh, stuff expert. Let's merge the Here two. Stuff expert. And joining us on the phone is a veteran of some 35, almost 40 years in pro wrestling. The man everybody just calls the doctor, the good doctor, Doc Diamond, is with us. Doc, are you there? Doc, I just fallen off. Okay, we'll try to get Doc back. We will try to get Doc back. Well, in the meantime, uh, we are live. We're on the air, and so we just got to continue, fellas. Um, tonight, I have to tell everybody in the interest of full disclosure, uh, I almost didn't do the show tonight. 
I've been threatened with violence, physical violence. Oh my God. Blackmailed. I have been, and this is all shoot too, by the way. Um, I have been told, uh, don't come out of your house. I can't anyway. I'm in quarantine, so fuck you. Um, quite frankly. Uh, and, and the guy who uh, told me don't come out of my house, he knows who he is. And I know who he is because I'm going to mention his name at the end of the show. So, again, double fuck you. Um, I've already been told don't do the show. You're going to get a lot of heat for it. Well, guess what? Bring it. Bring it. We're going to do the show. If it's good enough for Vice, it's good enough for wrestling with the future. So let me start with my my dear friend, Ricky O. Ricky, brother, we've been around this a long time. You and I have, uh, have both promoted for 24, 25 plus years. We've uh, both worked with Benoit Guerrero. Um, you knew Chris a little better than I did. What kind of guy was he? I can go off of sharing a locker room with him a handful of times. Um, I can also speak about the time I worked for Vince uh, quite a few times um, doing SmackDown and Raw as an extra. And one of the things that we learned real quick was you, you never really felt comfortable around the man. Um, it was basically his job to torture all the new guys in the locker room. Uh, when you're an extra in the WWE, you do not change in the locker room. And that's that's obvious. I mean, they set up a little tent or they set up a closet somewhere for you. You go in and change. And it was Chris's job to torture you. So when you went to do your segment, you'd come back and your clothes were cut in half. Um, your shoes were stolen. There was piss in your bag. Um, this was all stuff that he orchestrated out of fun. And ribbing is fine. Nobody really said anything, but there's a couple wrestlers who did come forward over the years. And if you go back and look the way I researched this over the last couple nights since we talked about doing this show, he had a lot of problems with new talent coming into the locker room. He was very, very standoffish to new guys. Matt Stryker, a very yeah. good guy, New York, New York, New Jersey guy, was one of the ones that was was abused by Benoit. And and basically, you know, and, and I got to tell you, Ricky, I know you and I both know Matt Stryker. Matt's a real—he is as laid back as you get. Yeah, if you can't get really along with that guy, yeah. And you know, one of the things that happened to us is, uh, and and this is a funny story. I saved this. I didn't even tell you this because you told me let's just shoot on the air. I yes. had a phone call from Coke Cabana on a, a Friday afternoon. I believe it was Friday. I don't remember. It might have been Tuesday night SmackDown at that time, but I don't remember. I was at work and I worked in a hospital. I was an administrator. And Colt Cabana, who is really not even a close friend of mine, we don't speak to this day at all, period. But he called me up and he said, hey, how far are you from Binghamton, New York? And I said, four hours. And he said, listen, I'm standing next to Vince. Vince said, if you can get here in three and a half hours with eight guys, there's a big bonus in it for you. And I said, what? And the guys who were supposed to do the extra work didn't show up. So I called all of my guys, Kevin Matthews, Danny DeMonto, a referee, Matt Bennett, who's pretty famous right now, um, you know, uh, uh, Justin Carino, a bunch of guys. We jumped in my Hummer, and we, we got there in three and a half hours. And Vince McMahon was completely, completely appreciative of this. And we got there, and it was with the Triple H against um, uh, Edge segment when they were doing it. And basically right. our job was we were playing security. I hit it off with Triple H a little bit. We had some mutual friends, and there was a segment where I, it looked good. I actually held Triple H back. I was 300 pounds at the time. I was a big guy. He said to me, you work with me the rest of the night. I don't care what's in the script. You come with me. We need this to look real. Great. So now my shoes and my bag are in this tent, and we were also with the new British Bulldogs and Natalie at the time. 
sure enough, I come back up to the second, uh, second segment, and we walk to the back, and one of my guys looks at me and just shakes his head, and I go, what's up? And he said, all of our clothes are destroyed. Your shoes are cut into a million pieces. And he's like, this is bullshit. We didn't come all the way here as a favor for this to happen. I said, just stay calm, guys. You guys are wrestlers. I'm not. I don't give a shit if I ever come back again, but you guys have a future here. So we're getting ready to leave at the end of the night, and Mr. McMahon walks up to me, and he says, can I see you a minute? And I said, yes, sir. And I walk over, and he says, go upstairs and get your draw, but this is for making it here faster. I said, well, thank you very much. And he handed me a very nice sum of money, and I, and I said, thank you. And I go to walk away, and the back of my pants are slashed, and my shoes are on. And he looks at me, and he goes, you're fucking kidding me, right? And I said, no, sir. And he goes, that happened here? And I said, yeah, somebody sabotaged the whole tent. All of our shit's ruined. And he looked at me and he says, you came here as a personal fucking favor to me. And he looked at me and he said something and I heard the name come out of his mouth. He goes, fucking Benoit. And he walks over to me and he handed me a stack of money and he said, you buy everybody new shoes, new clothes, and we'll see you next Monday night and I'll pay you again. And Vince kind of just knew without even saying a word. He's like, that dick did this to you guys. Yeah, And that was my first experience with him on on that level. I didn't know he was that sadistic. Now, he knew me from Dennis. He worked Dennis shows. I worked in the ECW locker room a few times. Right. I'm not going to say I was a regular there, but I was in the locker room for different reasons with Paul. Sure. And he was just never someone you ever felt like you could be close to. And that's a point I'm going to come up later in the show with him and Eddie. Gotcha. Go ahead, Murph. Um, didn't really know Chris personally. Uh, I met him once or twice. Uh, I think I met him once with, uh, Steve Carino and, uh, you know, a couple other guys. I mean, in the indie circuit, you know, a lot of the guys that are on Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, that kind of thing, unless we're buying a ticket, we really don't get a chance to, you know, meet and socialize with these guys that much. Uh, I can honestly say I never really heard anything, uh, bad about him. I mean, you know. Ricky, you worked a lot closer to him than I did. Um, I the whole thing ever since this happened from day one, something and I've said this before, and I've caught a lot of heat for it. Something about the whole thing never sat right with me, and it didn't add up. And yeah, I can go into that later on in the show if you like, or I can say something now if you want. Well, let, let's let's go into that later because I I want to touch on something later as well. But thank you, Mike Kelleher. Uh, being the one guy here that's not in the wrestling business, as a fan, when you heard that Chris Benoit had uh, had been killed, what was your first reaction, just from a fan standpoint? Well, you know. If it hadn't been on the networks, like the ABCs, NBCs, like CNNs, I would have thought it was an angle. Because at the time, you know, they were blowing up cars, running over people. Like, it was all kinds of weird things to try yeah. and, you know, make it look like people were, were getting murdered. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it was shocking. It was it was unbelievable at first. And... And then it just kind of sank in. And, and, uh, and to your point, Mike, we, we should also point out, to your point, it's not the first time that a death angle has been done. Uh, and, and They were shooting Vince's death that evening, Angel. The, the script for the show on Monday Night Raw that night was Vince dying. People yeah. forget about that. That's why all the boys were in suits. That's why everybody was dressed up. It was supposed to be Vince's funeral. Yeah. 
And so, and, and that ties right into my point, because initially, I and I'm I'm inside the uh, the, the loop in the bubble, if you want to call it that. And I and I'll be honest with you, I thought everybody was being worked. I did. I thought it was a work uh, until I realized that Vince came out to an empty arena, and I thought, "Oh, something's something's amiss here. Something doesn't sound right." We should point out that uh, depending on who you listen to, he uh, Chris Benoit died either June twenty fourth or June twenty second, two thousand and seven, depending on w- what frame of death you wish to use. But we know it's somewhere between the 22nd and 24th. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about what led up to it or what possibly led up to it. Uh, Ricky, I'm going to bring you in because I know you have an interesting theory and I want you to share that with everybody. And you and I have talked about this privately and I just said to you, um, and I want everybody to know, we didn't, none of this was uh, pre-planned, so I'm just going to ask Ricky O to go ahead and shoot. Well, the first thing is, I want to touch on something real quick before I get to that theory. If you sure. watch the Vice show, you go back and you re-watch or relive a lot of the newscast, he did kill himself a day to a day and a half later. So any conspiracy theories with the body temperature and the and the death right there should go out the window. He was dead a day and a half later. That That's what's a, you know, that to me was the proving point working in the medical field for 25 years it's hard to change body temperature. It's not like, you you know, they, and there's no reason to lie about that. There's no reason why a coroner will come in or a policeman will come in and change the time of death. So that to me was the telling factor. Now the theory I think is Eddie Guerrero is the complete opposite human being to Chris Benoit. Eddie Guerrero was nice. Eddie Guerrero was friendly to his fans. Eddie Guerrero was a caring family man who came from a fifth generation or so of professional wrestlers. His family protected this business. Eddie had his demons. But when Eddie was on his game, he was he was deeply spiritual. He was a family man. And he was a loving, giving father and husband. Now, to me, and this is just my opinion expressed by me, I sense a very underlining, deeper, maybe love interest that took place here. Was Chris Benoit in love with Eddie Guerrero? There's talk about reading the Bible in their underwear. They're talking about the two of them sharing beds and falling asleep in each other's arms. Little hints about stuff like that, which right. back 15 years ago was extremely taboo. The world's come around to a different thing now. The homosexuality now is accepted. It's on every television show, every commercial, every... And God bless... The, and to quote Jerry Seinfeld, not that there's anything wrong with that. God bless everybody. Let them love everybody. Let's get through this freaking fucking virus and everybody go go out and fuck everybody. Who cares? But at that time, two male <laughs> rhinos would not have been accepted in the world. And and if you look at yeah. it, the cause of Eddie's death, Eddie died and Chris spiraled completely out of control. You can yeah. take all the CTE, you could take the drugs and the steroids. Listen, how many of us are on roids or been on roids or workers we know have been on roids and they're not dead? Hulk Hogan is the is the, the prototypical pitcher boy of steroids. He's still alive, okay? So there's a theory to steroids, and there's a theory about taking shots to the head, and both are dangerous. But when emotion gets caught up into this, there's nothing more dangerous than a lover scorned or someone who loses someone at the time of death. And I personally feel the relationship between Eddie and Chris 
maybe just needs to be expanded a little. And again, I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying this is something that went through my mind, a theory I had. Well, we have to lend at least a little credibility to the theory because it actually came out within the first, I'm going to say the first month uh, that the, I'll call it the incident because we, we, we can speculate as to whether it was a murder, murder-suicide, a hit, uh, whatever you want to call it. And there are, there are some credible theories as to all of the above, quite frankly. Uh, and that's what I wanted to do tonight was explore that. But, Ricky, you bring up a point. You know, there, um, there have been those people who early on in the investigation suggested a homosexual angle. So uh, I'm not going to discount that, and I'm, I'm certainly not going to say, on the other hand, that it's absolutely true, but is it possible? Absolutely it's possible. Mike Murphy, you have an interesting theory as well. Share your theory with me and everyone else. Uh, my theory doesn't go as far as, you know, Chris and Eddie being together. Um, I mean, and nowadays, you know, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if that's what it was, that's what it was. Uh, you know, what, what a person does behind closed doors, none of my fucking business. Um, there's, there was some, I, I found out about it. I had just come back off the road uh, that weekend from doing a show, and I was getting ready to go to work Monday morning, and I pick up my phone, and a, uh, a manager friend of mine, Chucky D, uh, left a message for me. He says, uh, hey, brother, call me when you get a chance. Benoit's dead. And I was just in total shock the whole day. Mikey, did you think it was an angle? No. No. If I, one thing I knew about my friend Chucky was that, I mean, he, he's like a walking wrestling encyclopedia. If, if he says something's going on, then you can take that to the bank. Um, I then gotten a call from a, uh, a, ra a radio show in Philadelphia, uh, the Barsky show. Uh, they had a guy on there, uh, they called him Vinny the Crumb. They knew me, sure. the wrestler, so they called me up and they wanted to talk to me about it. I said, guys, look, I just found out today. It's a sad day. Give me a couple days and, you know, call me then. Sure. A couple days later, they called me back and it all went into roid rage. Oh, well, was it roid rage? Did you take steroids? You know. It's like, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, this isn't what the fuck you called me about. You wanted to talk about Chris Benoit, what happened? Let's talk yeah. about what happened. Um, yeah. Through this whole thing, uh, there were some questions that I don't think were asked that should have been well, asked. Well, you know, Mikey, and let me interrupt you for a second. I want, I want to pick up where you left off on the roid rage. You know, that was, and it seemed, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ricky, but it seemed at the time that was the blanket statement for every violent act that every wrestler ever committed. It was, uh, they were on roid rage. Uh, they were, you know, they had concussion, they had concussion the media, syndrome. The media, was the, the media had two buzzwords at the time, concussion and steroids. And they tried to tie every single thing to those two, um, look at the, the National Hockey League. Now, a big hockey historian, you had the deaths of Derek Bougard, Mark Rippon, Wade Belak, all within a couple of weeks. And the first thing they said was yeah. concussions. They all killed themselves because of concussions. No, Wade Belak killed himself jerking off. 
he he did that autoerotic asphyxiation <laughs> thing, and he, he died jerking off. But yet, they don't tell you about that. Listen, it's a sad way to die, but that's how he died. He didn't die from a concussion. The right. media needs to stop. It's just like what's going on with this virus. If you watch the right side of the news, we've got a cure coming and everybody's getting better. And if you watch the left side of the news, we're all going to die in six minutes and Chris Benoit is going to rise from the dead and he's going to be the world champion. You don't, you have to look at facts. Right. Okay. And the facts in this case are there's a woman, her son, and a man dead all in the same house at different times and different, you know, you know, parts of that evening and that weekend. And the, the telling point to me, and I discussed this with you, uh, 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 Angel, when William Regal, the night of the death, refused to speak about his death, and he said he was a great wrestler, he gave a lot to the business, and he didn't want to discuss Benoit as a person. Because now when it comes out, Regal knew he had beaten, he had given Nancy some beatings, the police had been at the house multiple times, and he knew he was nuts. Okay. Yeah. They also talk a lot on, in the, on the on the show on Vice, but they also talk a lot behind the scenes. A lot of people said Benoit has been beating the shit out of her for years. She missed appearances for Black and Blues. She sure. did not make a, a, a convention because she had black eyes. So he had been hitting her. Now, is that a sample of Roy Rage? Very possible. Is it a sample of the guy couldn't handle being around a woman? Maybe she found out about something. Maybe she said to him, I'm leaving you. He snaps. He kills her first, realizes he's going to jail for life. They had a special needs mm -hmm. child, I believe. I don't want him to be misquoted here, but I believe his son had special needs. And Absolutely. Son, and then he killed himself. Yeah, uh, his, his son, Daniel, uh, had a growth defect and he was uh, autistic. That's factual. Uh, that can be proven by uh, not only the official case study of this, but by family and friends. Uh, one of the things I want to point out uh, is that uh, Chris Benoit, before he was married to Nancy, uh, also known as Nancy Sullivan, Nancy Benoit, uh, he was married to a, a woman named Martina Benoit from 1992 to 1997. That marriage ended because of domestic violence. Right. That's factual. That's factual. That is not my opinion or speculation. That's factual. Uh, and there's supporting documentation uh, that will more than verify and validate uh, that assertion. That said, what about a guy that's just completely overly possessive and, uh, and compulsive? My understanding is that Chris Benoit, Ricky, was an extremely jealous guy very uh, compulsive and obsessive in his nature, and that he, by and large, kept to himself from the other guys, or what we call the boys, because A, because he wasn't well-liked, or B, because he wasn't very sociable. What's your take on it? Oh, I think, I think he was super respected by everybody in the business. I don't think anybody worked harder to be the prototypical greatest professional wrestler of all time than he um problem is he comes across as an introvert and maybe a little bit of a social disorder if you if you've been around chris again it was very quiet it was look away when we speak it wasn't a lot of eye contact yet you talk wrestling or you got in the ring he became the rabid wolverine, uh, wolverine. he lived his persona but at the ring he almost came across as a a, a little bit more of a bookwormy um, yeah, like a small man complex almost, but yet meanwhile, he's one of the baddest dudes in the whole world. 
So there was two sides yeah. of him. And one thing that we haven't touched on was Nancy. Nancy Sullivan was all we're going far. to touch on not the most beautiful woman in the history of professional wrestling. She yeah, invented the position of women manager, women valet, and she did it better than anybody else in the history of this business. Now, that's yeah. a lot to carry because what happens at the time is you have listen, Angel, we all run shows, guys, you work shows. No matter how good the main event is, if you throw a chick out there with giant bazoombas in a bikini to wrestle, the guys are all going to line up and take her picture at intermission. Okay, so sure. you got to carry that around yeah. too. You have the hottest woman in the business, and she's your wife, and everybody's looking at her. And let's just remember one thing: there's no fucking loyalty in a locker room. I don't care who you are. Every Absolutely. guy in that big your wife, your daughter, your sister, your cousin. I had my my daughters banned for wrestling. They never came to a fucking show. And so I ran a fundraiser for my child's wrestling team in her high school. And Big Van Vader was the star. And my daughter was 16, and my other daughter was 12. And my 16-year-old walked by the table, and Big Van Vader, rest in peace, goes, Jesus Christ, look at the ass on that little bitch. And my 12-year-old turned around and looked and goes, that's my fucking sister, asshole. Thunderage. Good for her. That's when I was like, and, and then I realized, but it, the, you got men who are, amazing athletes i'm never going to take away from wrestling they are amazing athletes they have to be in better shape and physically capable of doing more than any other athletic uh, event in the world but they're narcissistic they lack attention they have to have that crowd reaction and if they don't have to have that then they're not good at what they do so when that starts to fade yeah. out or your wife maybe outshines you a little that creates tensions in the home also hmm. well we saw that happen too with mark marrow and sable Absolutely. Go ahead, Mike. Bob, something I wanted to touch on uh, that Ricky O had brought up. Benoit, a, a technical wrestler beyond belief. No doubt. There's no argument there. One of the best that there was. I, was, I would even go and say, and I've heard it said, Olympic caliber professional or Olympic caliber wrestler. Absolutely. Um, which brings up one of my questions. Nancy, when Nancy was found, Bible by her head and her hands and feet were bound. That's one of the things that never set right with me. One, I he's in his own home. Two, he can choke somebody out without blinking an eye. Why tie her up? Good question. We're going to talk about it. Boom. She's done. Why tie her up? The Bible next to the head, to me, now I come from a law enforcement family. I've had it shoved down my throat since I was five fucking years old. The Bible next to the bed or next to Nancy shows me remorse. Remorse. That there was remorse there. There's a lot okay, of and the, lot the of question it. has always been, though, who was the one remorseful? Uh, and that brings up my theory. And my theory is, uh, is, a little off the beaten path, but I think there's, in the last uh, six to eight months, some uh, substantial evidence, some circumstantial, some directly uh, tied to it, that Chris Benoit was either involved with A, a, a drug gang, or B, the mafia. Because what I'm seeing in the crime scene analysis looks like a hit. But there's only one problem. If you're involved with the mob and you owe them money, their business is with you, not with your wife and child. 
and and anybody who knows the the ethics, strange as it sounds, the, I'll use air quotes. The ethics of the mafia is that it's just business. Business is business, and it's nothing personal. What would they have to gain by killing, you know, a ten-year-old boy, you know, and, and a woman who weighed maybe one hundred and ten pounds soaking wet? Right, exactly. It's saying no women or kids. The other thing that bothered me was the incredibly large cachet of uh, human growth hormones and steroids found in Benoit's home. Far more than personal use, by the way. Which leads me to think he was either A, distributing on behalf of someone, uh, or B, was involved with individuals who wanted that distributed on the street. Ricky, your opinion on this? My opinion uh, on the first theory you mentioned about being an organized hit, I don't believe in it. I don't think, I don't see, like you said, um, it, it's it's not the culture to whack a child or a wife over a, a husband's business. Family's off limits. We all know that. It's not a movie freaking role. Uh, it's something yeah. I, you know, a lot of people believe in, and, and I'll leave it at that because I don't want to incriminate anybody or myself in that statement. Second, I personally believe he had to get bigger. He had to come across as bigger. Everyone who talks about Vince McMahon, if you're not six foot five or bigger, he doesn't have any use for you. He did not want to push Eddie and Chris. Eddie and Chris forced that push on him. He revolutionized the WWE with Eddie and Chris being those two guys. He did it with Kurt Angle first, but don't forget Kurt Angle's an Olympic gold medalist, okay? Sure. And bringing to your point that you made, Angle called him an Olympic quality pro wrestler. Kurt Angle said he was the first guy to ever match him in intensity and anything, which makes the bondage situation um, more yeah. confusing. But listen, I I think the problem here is, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring something up that's very near and dear to my heart. The problem here is was the spousal abuse here that took place years before the murder that no one yeah. knows anything about. You have. Malenko's wife, who's a psychiatrist, discussing that she knew she was getting beatings. Regal knew she was getting beat up. Johnny Grunge went to the house on video to try to calm Chris down during an episode because women woman called him and said, he's out of control, he's going to hurt me, and we need help. At some point, I know in New York and New Jersey, I don't know the laws down in Georgia, I know in New York and New Jersey, a police officer can come to a scene of a crime and say, hey, I feel this is happening here. Domestic violence is taking place. You're leaving and we're going to take you in. I don't know the laws there, but it's as right. simple as if somebody would have really fucking cared. Don't sit here and cry on a vice fucking channel. Don't sit here and tell me that your life is this and you can't sleep at night. You can't sleep, motherfucker, because you let him beat her and a kid to death. You allowed this for years to take place because he was a fucking money train. And the only thing that matters in pro wrestling is attach yourself to the fucking money train. Let's get a fucking payday out of it, okay? Maybe somebody's motherfucker's taking chair shots and everything. Everybody wants to talk about New Jack. You know who the realest motherfucker in the game is? New Jack. He's mastered it. He 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 is the motherfucker he portrays, okay? Chris yeah. Benoit Chris Benoit was a fucking wife beater piece of shit. Okay, this is a sensitive subject to me. I grew up in a domestic violence family. I don't fucking appreciate it. You're a piece of shit. You're a fucking coward. And I hope you're getting ass raped by Hitler and fucking in hell right now every day of your life because you beat your fucking wife. 
You're not a fucking tough guy when you do that. You're a piece of shit. And what happened here is a lot of people look the other way when it comes to celebrities. Ray yeah. Rice, right? Ray Rice punched his fucking wife in the face in the Brigada in Atlantic City. Do you know who picked that video up from the security guard to deliver to TMZ? You're looking at the fat fuck. And you know who saw Ray Rice? You know when my opinion changed on this? When I pulled into the fucking Brigada and Ray Rice and his wife were outside holding hands 12 hours after he knocked her out in the elevator, okay? Because, you know why? Money means more than safety. Money means more than being comfortable in your way of life. And some people, and I'm not saying Nancy was this way, because she could have probably made her own money and she might have had a nice bank account. She stayed with a fucking wife, Peter, okay? So the circumstances around this are she ended up dead from a domestic violence family. And this is what should not happen in this world today. It's 2020. We don't need to be beating women. We don't need to be beating children. There's circumstances in the world where people lose it. I think the combination of CTE and I think the combination of heavy, heavy, as you said, not just human for himself. He had a fucking room full of steroids. He had yeah. a factory coming into it. It goes to say that WWE does not have a quality testing program. It does not have a, 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 a domestic violence program. In yeah. There. And we lost well, you know, and, and we, we talk about this this cache of uh, steroids and human growth hormones. Mike Kelleher, do you think he was treated differently because of his celebrity status? Do you think the police showed up a few times and slapped him on the hand and said, don't do that, be a good boy? It's, it's entirely possible. I mean, there's there's so many times you see if you're lucky enough to hear about a celebrity getting any kind of uh, spat or, or uh, squabble, you see them, uh, so-and-so went to court today for their hearing and they got probation or they got, you know, some, they had to pay a fine or some, 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 some minor slap on the wrist. But if any one of us had done it, we would have been, you know, in jail for who knows how long. Yeah, sure. So yeah, what, what are your thoughts uh, about this? You you've heard some theories uh, bantered here. So uh, what are your uh, what are your thoughts? What do you think happened? You know, every time I think I've got a clear path to what I believe, something new pops up. Um, well, tell us what you think. Well, I mean, you know that uh, Riccio's point about. Um, you know, was there was there a, a true love interest between Eddie and Chris? Like that's fascinating to me because the uh, the the real linchpin of that is if um, his wife, if Chris's wife, found out about this this relationship, and it ties into what Ricky was saying, she was going to leave, and maybe that was what set him off. Um, you know, it was like. I don't. I mean, and I know the timeline doesn't quite line up that way, but I'm just yeah. saying, like maybe prior, um, she learned about it, and he, they kind of worked through it. Yeah. All I'm saying is that angle is really interesting. Um, personally, I'm I'm at a place where um, I'm I'm not a hundred percent convinced that it was a hit. Um, I'm willing to listen and and uh, evaluate all the options, but. So far, I'm not. I'm not in that it's a hit. Okay, you know uh, there was. If you believe the story, Ricky, 
there was a series of text messages made from both Chris Benoit's phone and from Nancy's phone to a, a variety of people, Chavo Guerrero being one, um, uh, Dean Malenko being another, um, uh, and, and I'm wanting to say two more, but I can't honestly recall their names right now, but there were three or four text messages. They all said the same thing. They were all sent from both phones at the same time. But here's what doesn't add up to me, Ricky. If you believe the timeline of these texts to these people, Chris was already dead. So was Nancy. So was Daniel. How does a dead man text to four different telephones? I, I, it's there's a lot of uns, you know, a lot of undetermined uh, factors here. There's also um, the Wikipedia page was supposedly altered uh, the the night saying he was dead and he wasn't dead yet. You know that you know there was a murder at his exactly. house. People, people exactly. Exactly. That. that that the original time when, when the pay-per-view hit the air, it was supposed to be his big match against CM Punk that evening, which both yeah. guys were really heavily looking forward to going at it. So that's another thing, too. His frame of mind was okay, supposedly, before this happened. So there's the, the Wikipedia. There's the text messages. There's a lot of unturned um, the, the, web, the, the web searches on his computer that came up. Now, that hasn't really ever been brought up before, Viceland. That was very And I'm glad you brought it up. I'm glad you brought it up, Ricky. So let's go there. Tell everybody what we're talking about. Uh, how to kill yourself quick and painlessly was one of the searches. And how to um, give your child narcotics to knock them out. Um, and it, it came down to uh, Xanax and, and, and a mixture of some pills for his son. And then the weightlifting, um, the lat pull-down machine being wrapped around his own neck with 200 pounds on. He released it and he snapped, allegedly snapped his own neck. Um, well, I have a problem with that, Ricky. I have a real problem with that. Mike, you want to you, you kind of uh, tell Ricky what your theory about that is? Because you and I have an issue with this. Uh, my how, does a guy, is... how, how does a guy pull down 250, 260 pounds with one hand, wrap a wire cord around his neck, and then release it. Explain this to me. How, how does that happen? Uh, I I don't think, uh, in my own opinion, I don't think he did it himself. I think what happened was, I think, my theory is, I think he came home in the middle of it. And because if you notice, they said there was no forced entry into the house. So it had to be somebody he knew. Somebody they trusted. Now, again, okay. how does the person, okay, he hung himself by his weight machine. Now, you know, how do you hold 250, 260 pounds in one hand, hold it up enough to where the cable's loose enough, wrap it around your neck, and then let it go? I don't think physically it can be done. Well, we know he was a pretty strong guy, but I don't think he was that he had the strength to, unless, Ricky, unless you you have a theory about that, how does a guy pull down 250, 260 with one hand 
and have enough foresight to put a quarter inch wire cable around his neck and then release it. When there's a will, there's a way. Now, did he, I'm not saying, I don't know if he did it or not. I wasn't there and I hope to God I'm never in a situation where I want to hang myself with a fucking weightlifting machine. But I can only imagine somebody pulling it down in front of them, putting slack on the wire and putting it once around his neck. 250 pounds to that guy is 25 pounds to me and you. I mean, let's be honest. The guy was brutally strong. I mean, I don't know. True. But the machine and the theory of hanging himself with the machine is something that I have seen in movies. Um, I have seen, and I know that doesn't make any sense. I've seen it in a movie. But the way they've done it in a movie was they've had slack around it, put it around their neck and released it, just like a garage door opener in The Sopranos. Um, there's a will, there's a way. You can you could put a block of wood under the 250 pounds or something under the 250 and kick it out with your leg when you're ready to have it snap. Well, you know, it's a, it's a case of art imitating life or life imitating art, depending on how you want to look at it. My, I've always been unsettled with a couple of things. The, the biggest thing for me, and, and probably all of you will agree with it, if you got a problem with your wife, if it's truly a problem with your wife, deal with your wife. Why the need to kill your kid? He's, he doesn't understand what's happening. He's not capable of responding to that. And he's not capable of fighting you back. But for that kid to die with a broken back, with somebody with such incredible strength, no, I didn't hear about a broken back. Well, no, I, I think I think uh, I think he got the two mixed up here. He he drugged his son and smothered him with a pillow. He broke Nancy's back with the Okay, pillow. Nancy, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. Thank you, Red. What's it say again, Mike? I said the broken back on Nancy. I heard that she had been choked out. I didn't hear that her back had been broken. He had put his knee in her back and snapped her neck. According to the show on Vice. Uh, according, yeah, and we should say, according to the show on Vice, which, by the way, was not drawn from the official police transcript. And much of the information given was from a book author who I never quite frankly heard of. And, and I, and, and again, quite frankly, I don't buy a lot of his theories. That's just me. If anybody I read the book. I did read the book, and it goes into a lot of, uh, of Chris being uh, at a very early age, almost self-masochistic, uh, going over to New Japan and being beaten up as a young boy, sleeping on the floor, pissing in a toilet, uh, you know, on the floor as a toilet in front of the guys, rubbing their feet, washing their asses after, um, you know. It's the young boy training in Japan, which became almost uh, S and M like, if you you know, according to the details of this book. Yeah, and Ricky, my uh, not to interrupt you, but I'm going to for a minute. But my understanding about that, and I know a little bit about that. My understanding is that it was his way of self-disciplining himself. That's and and you uh, you apparently heard the same thing. Um, if you know the Japanese culture, um, they're much, they're very much into self-punishment as a, as a means of discipline, punish thyself first and do good to others. 
it's kind of it's it's almost oxymoronic, but it's over a way. Here, like, over here in the states, punish thyself has a different meaning. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. Well, and Angela, but, don't forget you, also the uh, the Japanese also really, really, really hold hierarchies uh, very, very dear to their culture. So, so very good point. Very good point. So, uh, Ricky, let's talk about that. Talk about the discipline aspect. Well, By all accounts, he was very much into discipline. He was into disciplining himself. There's all the stories on the shoot interviews and everything else you read. He'd have a bad match. He'd miss a move. He'd go in a locker room and he'd do 500 Hindu squats. He'd do 1,000 push-ups and sit-ups after working an, an hour-long match that nobody saw anything wrong with except for himself. He was constantly critique himself now how do you get to be the best at what you do you critique yourself and you make yourself better but there's also a point of where you become obsessed and the obsession here uh took over this man's life and i think uh, unfortunately to push himself from whatever he was i i helped, i don't know exactly how tall he was was he 511 510 6 even well the, the uh, uh i will tell you that right now as a matter of fact uh he was five foot ten, two hundred and thirty-eight pounds at the time of his passing. Okay, um, two hundred and thirty-eight pounds on that frame is gigantic. That guy should be in the hundred and seventy-five to one hundred and ninety-pound range. He's carrying fifty pounds of enhanced muscle from artificial sources. Okay, sure. So there's got to be something to the chemical dependency, the obsessive compulsiveness of it. And, and the yeah. fact that he just was traumatized mentally from having a brain of an 86-year-old man. Oh, well, and we're going to talk about that right now, as a matter of fact. We're talking about in pro wrestling, five foot nine, five ten, is a small guy, relatively speaking. Uh, Eddie Guerrero was, I believe, five nine, five ten. They were both about the same size, pretty much the same build, right, Ricky? Uh, yeah. Mike, you know that, right? They're same size, same build? Yeah. Okay, so now you're talking about two guys that are relatively small at that time on the roster compared to guys that were 6'4", 6'7", 6'8", a couple of seven-footers, 300-plus pounds. So you're talking about a couple guys, by all accounts, that are small. Let's use that word, okay, small. But they made up for it in sheer width and girth. If you look at Benoit, he had short legs, but a jacked up upper body. His upper body looked like it belonged on a guy 6'5". Despite the fact that his legs were relatively diminutive size. And Eddie as well was a small guy. But again... Very, very well built for their size. And they could do things, those two guys, that nobody else could do. Athletically, uh, technically, they were both superior amateur wrestlers, both skilled athletes in other sports. And by the way, really fucking strong. Okay? But if you take a guy of that stature, I don't care how much human, gro human growth hormones you take, you're not going to get taller. You'll only get wider. 
there's a yeah, I mean, you you can't get, I mean, you can get as wide as a, the the broad side of a barn, but you're not going to get any taller than you are. I so myself, ahead, I myself just had a physical not too long ago. I'm five eleven, uh, and not proud of it, but I'm two hundred and eighty pounds right now. I've put on a little extra weight since retirement. I will admit that. <laughs> but I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Ricky, please continue. No, I, I was just saying your head gets bigger. It's a known fact. You know, ask Barry Bonds. Uh, he <laughs> had the very large inflated cranium. Uh, if you look at his forehead, um, he did have all the signs of somebody who's using HDH. Um, the study on the body is undetectable. Um, it's kind of crazy is that human uh, growth hormone is not naturally detected in a, in a normal steroid test also. I don't know if that's, you know, common knowledge. You have to have a special test to determine it in your system, and that's why Major League Baseball players got away with it for so long. That's why, um, you know, I'm going to expose a little bit on the wrestling business, and I'm sure you guys know this. You're both in it. There's something called levels. When you enter a company, when you were hired in the 80s and the 90s and early 2000s, you were able to come in at your levels. So if your t t testosterone level was 265, you could not vary within 10% of that while you were hired. Now, there's no right. human number for testosterone produced. Angel might be 290. Me, I might be one. Mark and Mike, you guys might be 300 naturally. Okay, so now you're ingesting 10 cc's of this on a weekly basis and you're bringing yourself up to 500 before you go into the company. Now you can go as high as 550 or as low as 450 and you're illegal. You're good. Don't worry about it, buddy. You, your levels haven't changed. It's a natural increase. You're eating a lot of red meat. That's what the bullshit testing did in the, in, in the wrestling companies, WCW and WWF. They came in at levels. They took a blood sample. They said, OK, his testosterone is this high. He can't go past that. But they also, if you remember, they always hired guys 90 days out or, or six months out, and they gave them time to prep to come in. That was sure. the levels of Absolutely. So we do that? Sure. So everybody looks like oh, Vince McMahon cookie cutters. Look at the company now. You don't see one guy who looks different now than everybody else. You did. It was yeah, exactly. Wild, and he's the most popular guy in the whole company. And they yeah. sit on that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Which speaks volumes, and that, that's a discussion for another another show. But you've touched on something, Ricky, that I want to that I want to um, uh, direct to Mike Kelleher and Mike Murphy. Ricky mentioned that Benoit's brain was that of an eighty-plus-year-old person. Okay, I will accept that as factual for now, because I have nothing to dispute it. But Mike Kelleher. How many, here's my question to you, and I'd like you to expound on it. How many 80-year-old men do you know that go around killing their wives and kids? Absolutely none. Um, but I also don't know any 80-plus-year-old men who had endured the, the physical impact that Chris Benoit did. So, well, here, here's my point in asking you that. Yeah. If his brain was at such a decreased capacity, yeah. he wouldn't be able to perform at that high level. 
And he performed at a very, very high level for years. So how do you get around that? Mike Murphy. Um, I myself, you know, Angela, you've known me in the business. You've seen me work and all. I myself have had uh, at least six concussions. If you, if you get into the wrestling, the professional wrestling business, guess what? You're going to get a concussion. It's unavoidable. Um, I've had, I have now, and I'm 54. I just turned 54 uh, this month. Uh, I have uh, short-term memory loss. Um, uh, balance issues. Angela, you've seen it. We've gone out to dinner. You've seen sure. my balance, you know, equilibrium, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's all from, you know, hey, you're getting hit with a chair, you're getting hit in the turnbuckles, you, you, you get a spear and you snap your head back and, you you know, you hit the ring. And, you know. It, well, Mike, how does the guy, how does the guy with an 80-year-old brain to yeah. compete at that high level? No. I don't well, think that, that was going to be my question to you. How does a guy like that compete at that level on the, the biggest stage in the world and, and go undetected as either a sociopath, a psychopath, um, uh, a ticking time bomb? Ricky, jump in here. I, it's To me, I think the theory is it came from Nowinski, the, the gentleman who went to Harvard and wrestled for the WWE for a little while, and he, he sure the, the concussion program. He's done a major, major good thing for the world with this. But the statement of an eighty-year-old man, I agree with you. Now, if you ever saw the movie Concussion and you and you saw the Mike Webster story early on in the show and about his brain yeah. being mushed, there's there's got to be facts to that. And like Mike just said, this poor gentleman's fifty-six years old. He's losing his you know his equilibrium, his balance. Your head, you only get one brain, guys. It's not like you can lose a finger and you still have nine more. You only got one brain. And when that starts to rot, we don't know the effects of this. We're the first generation now that's dying of steroids, okay? Was your people who were in the late 80s, early 90s, these people are now dying in their early 40s, their 50s. Look at the WrestleMania show. What's left from Mania? How many people are left from the early 80s, WWE starting to run? Big Boss Man, all of these guys have passed. Kurt Henning, all these yeah. There's got to be hawk. There's got to be something to the mixture Warrior. of steroids into the human yeah. body that we don't know enough about to make that determination. You know, everybody says we're turning into zombies, and that's always the funny thing. Oh, this is the next zombie thing. Think about what steroids are doing to people. Can it make you sure. drink? I, I've got friends of mine that graduated at 150 pounds, high school, 18 years old, 150 pounds. And by the time they were 24 years old, they couldn't put their arms down. Okay. They had size 58 chests with 24-inch arms that made Hogan look small, okay? And these are mm-hmm. local guys who used to fool around in a nightclub as bouncers and charge chicks $10 each to whip needles into their ass as a joke, okay? This stuff takes over your mind. This stuff takes over, like, it's a, it's a persona thing. You have to be the man. You have to be the best-looking, the biggest, the most physically fit, the biggest arms. I wish I could rock a beard like Mike has right now. That thing's awesome. But <laughs> what else do these guys have to go through in life? You're putting yourself up there in spandex tights in front of, hopefully, let's just say on a big crowd, eight to 50,000 people on the big stage, okay? Right. You've got lights and everyone in the world is looking at you. You're a sex symbol to every woman out there, hopefully, or men, if that's your thing. And you have to constantly look good because the next kid coming up is going to knock you off the pedestal. He's going to have bigger arms, bigger calves, throw a higher drop kick. 
that well you know what ricky let's talk about that there was some talk uh, and you know where i'm going to go with this ricky because you had a little inside track on it there was some talk that chris was perhaps on his way out uh and was uh doing you know all of these uh, you know different drugs and growth hormones to keep his spot to be competitive and i i can certainly understand the competitive nature of the business but to, to your knowledge given what you know and what you've heard is there any truth to that was he trying I to protect know. his spot there everybody's trying to protect I think right now Triple H is protecting his spot, and he's he's the owner's son, their son-in-law. There's always the fear in this business of someone is looking over your shoulder to take your spot, and that's one of the things that in professional wrestling is out of control. It's the paranoia. Even oh, as a promoter, every time I ran a fucking building, somebody would call the building the next day and try to steal. Somebody would. I remember I was gonna have a show with Tommy Dreamer on it. Twenty years later, after ECW, somebody sent the building the video of him power driving. Um, what what uh, uh Beulah? Yeah, it's well, I got news for you. I'll show you one better. Mike Murphy, you remember the show we did that they shut us down because a young lady appeared with a rather um revealing costume on. Yes, yes, and that and Mike she was actually, on the show. She actually came with me. She was uh my valet. Um, she over, was. Uh, and uh, and she, and she didn't even realize. She just thought it was a sexy outfit. Um, and I remember that show. I wrestled a uh, big Van Vader or big Slam Vader that night. Yeah, big Slam. Yeah, yeah. And uh, all yeah, because she had her tan lines were showing. Well, okay, yeah, we caught some heat for she that. Had a thong outline, and they shut us down. But the funny thing is, she sold more pictures and, than the Rock and Roll Express. That's what Ricky was talking about. That's what Ricky was talking about. So I, I, I did a show. I did a show once in in Lindhurst, New Jersey, in 1990. I had Public Enemy. I had the Dudleys. I had Gilbert as the WWF light heavyweight champion defending his title on my show 1600 people show sold out okay and uh, i had uh deuce jimmy snook's son on that show there was a lot low-key the hit squad these guys went on to become very famous workers right do you know who made the most money wasn't on the show she said to me can i set up a merch table bobcat very good friend of mine you know how she did it she went and laid on a copy machine with her breast okay <laughs> took a nude photo and then took took a nude photo and drew stars over all her intimate parts and copied those on copy paper. I'm not talking photo paper, copy paper. And she, she sold them for five bucks a piece and she walked out of there with almost a thousand bucks in 15 minutes. Don't That's tell me that the sex angle in wrestling doesn't sell. These guys come there, they want to see fights and they want to see tits. And this is what goes back to me a half hour ago saying. This man had to live with the most famous woman in the history of the business if you look at talent and if you look at beauty. Was there better wrestlers than women? Of course. Was there more beautiful women than women? Uh, than women? Yes. But together, she was the greatest in the business that we've ever seen. She, her character with Kevin Sullivan, second to none. Her character. Well, now you, you, you brought something up. 
Now you brought something up. We're going to go there. The Kevin Sullivan factor. We should point out that uh, this is not factual. This is speculation. What is factual and documented is that Kevin Sullivan, during his marriage to Nancy Sullivan, a.k.a. Nancy Benoit, was in fact arrested a couple of times for domestic and spousal abuse. That's factual. That's factual. That is not speculation. What is speculation, however, is that Chris uh, Benoit was somehow the victim of a Kevin Sullivan receipt, a, uh, a receipt that happened some almost three, four years before where Kevin Sullivan is seen and heard on video, by the way, so I'm not making it up, saying, Benoit, you'll pay for this one day. That's factual. Tell me if I'm lying, Ricky. You're not lying. It's just a blurred line. Um, you're talking about a person who played a character on TV for 20 years as being the taskmaster and before that being the devil himself. Kevin Sullivan does the indie scene right now and still makes T-shirts that say the devil is here. Kevin Sullivan played a character on Florida Championship Wrestling better character in the history of professional wrestling he took a satanic angle without ever saying the word satan once if you go back and you watch this kevin sullivan talks about this in all his shoot interviews he never said the word satan he talked strictly out of bible verses he talked about names of buddha singh and things like that and he just threw it all together then the rumors were i can't tell you how many people i know in the professional wrestling business guys that are six foot four jacked out of their minds steroid freaks that would come to me and go I don't want to be in the locker room if you have Sullivan on the show. I'm afraid of him. He's satanic. He does this and he does that. And he does all these, you know, worshiping. He doesn't. Okay. It's the best played character in the history of wrestling. And if you want to be a mark and sit here and say Kevin Sullivan killed him, Jesus Christ. Don't you think the cops, the first thing they did was track down where Kevin Sullivan was? Don't well, you and they listed 50,000 times. And, and we should point out that Kevin Sullivan has been questioned has taken not one but several lie detector tests and has passed them all. But there are still people, Mike Kelleher, who think that Kevin Sullivan was somehow involved in the untimely demise of Chris Benoit and his ex-wife Nancy. That being the case, why, why kill the little boy? Um, you know, the uh... I would say if I were to put myself in that situation, anybody in that house has to go. Like you can't even if even if it's a young boy who with uh, with uh, cognitive or other deficits, I, I would think it would just be too messy to to leave somebody who could possibly identify um, the person who killed his mom and dad. So, Ricky, what do you make of that? Again, it's it's just me being um, a cynical fuck, just hearing all the information and hearing the, the now listen, could a killer I, I watch a lot of CSI also could a killer go on Benoit's computer and type in things to incriminate him? Of course he could have. Did he kill him a day and a half later? He could have tortured him. He could have killed his kid one hour, his wife the next, made him watch, had him drugged up. God only know it. If somebody whacked Benoit, yeah, you got to kill everybody in the fucking house, man. You can't leave anybody around to witness 
I mean, that's just common. You know, you're going to kill one, killing three doesn't make a difference. Yeah, well, they say tie up all loose ends, right? Yeah. yeah uh, Angelo, the. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, it's just, just so long. So much time had passed between the time when when um, Sullivan had, had or, you know, I guess gotten out of the picture and Chris had come in. And I, I just, I feel like that's a really long. You might hate somebody. But to go that long and then kill well, them? Yeah, and you know what, Mike? You bring up a good point, and Ricky, you know this to be true, and so do you, Mike Murphy. If you hate someone to that level, and this is in response to those people who say, oh, Kevin Sullivan had something to do with it. Well, if that's the case, why on earth would Kevin Sullivan put the World Heavyweight Championship on Chris Benoit in WCW. He put the belt around him. You don't do that for somebody you don't like. You do that for somebody you think can draw you money. Ricky, there's only two things that are real in wrestling, the miles and the money. That's right. And if you if you ever listen to Sullivan speak, he talks about the fact that he might not like Chris as a person and he didn't like the fact that, you know, he also had heard rumors, and Sullivan talks about this too, about Nancy getting beaten. Now, here's a guy who beat her, and he's feeling sorry for somebody else beating her. That's a little sick in your head if you think about it. But he talks about the respect and how hard Benoit worked, and he talked about putting a belt on him and seeing this. He wanted to put a, a rocket up his ass, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's, it's really hard to figure out. But one thing I know is that's one of the top three minds in the history of professional wrestling. And he thought Chris was talented enough to carry the strap. So that's a yeah. thing there. He could have easily just have said, we don't need this guy. Put him in a match with Yvonne Sullivan and, and, and buried his career. And he didn't do that. And there's another theory, Mike Murphy, being bantered around and something you've heard about. Uh, and we're going to go ahead and name names here because I'm going to go ahead and shoot. This is uh, this show again, and I want to make sure that people understand this if you're just coming in. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the panelists and participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Wrestling with the Future Podcast Network, its affiliates, or Wrestling with the Future TV, including Facebook, YouTube, Daily Motion, Twitter, or any form of viable alternative social media platforming by which we broadcast. And the opinion content provided by our panelists or guests are their own opinion, including me, by the way, and are not intended to malign any person, persons, or group of people, corporations, or in any way to bring shame upon Chris Benoit and or his family and friends, including any and all members living or dead. So... That being said, for the second time, I'm going to say this. There are people who believe that Benoit had such a large cachet of human growth hormones and steroids because he was distributing for one Vincent K. McMahon. Mike Murphy, pick up the story from there, please. Uh, no, I, I, I think he was distributing for Vince because... He had more, they found more steroids in his house, house well, uh, than for just personal consumption or personal use. I, uh, I want to cut you off there for one second. I'm uh, going to say something that I've never said in public before. And if I end up getting killed over this, just remember I said it on the show first. 
Vince McMahon would never be dumb enough to have a mainstream store ever distribute steroids. Now, was there a person that worked in Ohio Valley that distributed steroids and has been taken care of to the, in the WWA to this day? Yes. I will never say the person's name out of respect because everybody's got to make a living and I've done things in my life I'm not proud of. But there is a human being who was a feeder system of HGH and steroids to the WWE for over 20 fucking years and he's still there. Leave it at that. And if that's the case, then uh, would it be out of the question for somebody to get away with murder undetected and still be able to make a living in professional wrestling, Mike Murphy? Well, if you look at the amount of money that Vince McMahon has to pay something, pay someone to do it, keep it quiet, yeah, he's got the money to do it. I mean, you know, when, when you have the kind of power and stroke and money that he has, pretty much do whatever you want. I mean, think about it. Vince Neil, Motley Crue, kills a drummer from another rock band, okay, spends millions of dollars of lawyer fees and all, spends a month in jail, and he's out, okay? Vince McMahon, indicted for steroids. Hulk Hogan testifies and all. Vince didn't do a second of time. Nope, not bad. Okay, so, and that's where I thought, I thought, hey, you know what? If anybody could do the thing with the steroids and distribute it with it, well, you know, he's done it before. He got caught doing it before. I I personally think Benoit was distributing to the other wrestlers, you know, in the locker room. Ricky. Yes, sir. Okay, you heard that. Well, like I said, I just have some inside knowledge on that, and I have a knowledge on the time frame, and, and, and I just disagree with that. But was he distributing to his own inner circle? Possibly. Was he distributing? Listen, professional wrestlers, let me ask you a question. You're a local star in Philadelphia, right? But you're still a big deal to the people in your neighborhood. Everybody has their own local superstars. Everybody has their own people that they look to and, and listen i had the hit squad and jay from 2000 to 2006 or 7 if I, I brought them to my lodi new jersey building there was a bigger pop in there than hogan okay i could have brought any ecw any wwe has been in there and they couldn't get the pop the hit squad had they were so popular they didn't pay for food we went to bars they didn't pay for drinks so now did he have a gym i heard he owned part of a gym was he selling to people in the gym that's a possibility these guys all have side hustles. You know what? You There's the old theory. You get rich quick in this business, and you don't know what to do with your fucking money. You could pay Tony Atlas $1,000 at 8 o'clock, and at 8.15, somebody walked on his face for 850 of it, and he's asking you for a loan, okay? These guys <laughs> oh, bankers. Let, let me just say something, Ricky. I, I'm not doubting. I wasn't uh, doubting you at all. I Because what no, you I said you. Okay, in the time frame that you said it, that made me think, like, uh, okay, yeah, why would Vince be the one to get his fingers dirty when he could have somebody else do it? There, so listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doubting you at all. Oh no, 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 I didn't take it that way at all. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, man, I grew up in a background that in, in New York City mob. Okay, I'm, everybody knows my background. Okay, family, everything. The movie The Godfather is based off of my uncle Willie Moretti. You don't know who he is? Look it up. Okay, that's my mom's godfather and uncle. The movie was based on his life from Martin Scorsese. I was always taught you never fucking rat. And you never, ever, ever let the boss get his hands dirty. 
Why yep. would Vince True. ever tie himself to? He's a fucking billionaire. Why would he tie himself into a hundred thousand dollar steroid scheme? But if he could have a guy do it for him, put him on the payroll for fifty, and that guy's going to take all the heat, and that guy's going to be the one to go down. That's a fall boy. We all know what that is too, right, Angel? No, I agree. Right. With you. I agree with you. you. I, I just, I, I just think that there's too much thought going on here. That as some, as the four of us are all in this business, we got to realize something. We're all in it because we're egomaniacs. We're not in it for money because none of us are rich. I did 25 years in this business, and I've had years in the business where I put 150k in my pocket, and I've had years where I've lost so much money that I lost my wife and family over it. Okay, oh, I, I had a show that was a sold show, and the check bounced, and I drove my car to car cash. And sold my pickup truck to pay the boys. There are so many highs and there's so many lows in this business that it's impossible. Okay. But we're all in it because we want to be in it. And if we weren't there for that reason, you don't deserve to be in it. But the, the ego comes in. And with this case here, this is another case of an egomaniac who maybe felt slighted because he was small. He had small man complex. And something got out of control. Was it drugs? Was it his brain? Was it domestic? Hey, God only knows. He could have came home and Nancy could have had a fucking cock in her mouth. Okay. Well, and that we're actually going to go there. There were um, accusations. I don't want to say allegations because they were not alleged at the time. They are being alleged now. Of course, 13 years later that Nancy Benoit was having an extramarital affair and got caught in the act. Mm. Uh, not uncommon. Okay. That being said, Ricky, how likely is that scenario, in your opinion? And is it, is it something Chris Benoit would have been irate enough to kill her over. Listen, I don't know if she was having an affair. I, I just brought that point up because anything is possible because Chris is constantly getting badgered on this. And, you know, listen, I'm a man. You're, you're a father. You're a husband. I'm sure you guys have been married, have children, whatever the case is. Somebody harms or, or you catch your wife in bed with another man or you catch another man propositioning your wife. God only knows what's going to happen. I know I'm not going to sit down and be calm. Um, I had the situation, like I said, with my daughter, where I was laughing because my little daughter handled it. But if it would have came down to Vader touched my kid, I would have punched him in the fucking face. I don't care if I take a beat. And that's my, that's my blood. You know, you, you defend uh, yeah. what you love. And some people go to an extreme. We're going to talk about something now that has not been discussed before. Um, you all know the name Renee Dupree. Right, Pat Patterson's boy. Pat Patterson's boy. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that in a second too. Mike Kelleher, do you know the name Renee Dupree? It. No. Okay. Mike Murphy, you know who Renee is. I've heard the name. Yes. Okay. There's a name being bantered around here now. Thirteen years after the death of Chris Benoit. And this is, I'm reading this directly from Yahoo News, by the way. Okay. So it's a credible source, and I want people to understand I'm reading directly. On the day that Chris Benoit was found dead, 
his former tag team partner, Biff Wellington, was also found dead in oh. Canada. That's true. I didn't know. That's, that's without dispute. Never knew that. In a recent interview, Rene Dupree makes the following claim. In a recent interview, former WWE star Rene Dupree shockingly revealed that another wrestler who had links with Benoit was found dead on the same day Chris Benoit allegedly died. During his interview with Hannibal TV, WWE veteran revealed that Biff Wellington, who was the former tag team partner of Chris Benoit, was found shot to death on the same day, June 24th, 2007. He said, and I quote, I'd like to talk about one thing that nobody talks about. There was another body found on that day. Another wrestler died that day that nobody talks about, and he was kin to Chris. His name was Biff Wellington. Continuing on the topic, Dupree brought up how Benoit sent text messages to some of his friends before his death. We all know now those text messages were sent after he died. One of those texts went to the phone of Biff Wellington, who was already dead at the time. We all know there were text messages between different wrestlers and Chris, right? Question mark. I'd like to know if there was any communication between Biff Wellington and Chris, because that's an eerie coincidence to me. I think not, says Rene Dupree. Wellington, a former independent wrestler, wrestled in the Canadian Independent Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling, NJPW, for brief runs, but he had short runs as well with WCW and ECW. Now, you were part of ECW for uh, quite a bit of time, so I'm curious, Ricky, uh, if you've ever heard the name Biff Wellington around the ECW locker room. I, I have, and much respected professional. Well, was I? I honestly did not know he died on the same day. I knew he's deceased. I did not know it was the same day. Um, super yeah, talented individual. They wanted to be the new British Bulldogs when they wrestled together. That was their. That was their dream. Um, yeah. And just so you know, Rene Dupree is back in the WWE as a producer. He's hired again now. He works backstage. Yeah, I know that. And go ahead, and Mike. Well, I just I was Googling real quick Rene Dupree. He was in La Resistance, and I do remember that tag. Yes. So I, I, I know who he is. I just didn't recognize him. We should him. also point out that Rene Dupree is a third-generation wrestler. His father and his uncle uh, made up, if I remember, Ricky, tell me the name of their tag team. Um, Are you thinking of the Rougeaus? No, no, not, the, not not Jacques and Ramon. Um, Quebecers? Say again, Mike. The Quebecers? No. Um, Mikey Kelleher. Sir. Go real, real quick. Rene Dupree's father. Yeah, I'm looking right now. Um, just... His cousin is uh, is Pierre Carroulet. That's a so... good friend of mine. 
PCO, I think they call him now. PCO, Pierre Carlet. Well, he's a Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion. Um, Carl is a good friend of mine, and he has a very strong opinion on this too. Now, um, his opinion was murder. I'll tell you that right now. When I when I used to be on the road with with with, uh, with Carl, who was a good friend of mine, we shared many hotel rooms and and trips up and down Maine and New Jersey a lot. Uh, he was close to this family, and he 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 to this day thinks it was a murder. So, you know, a lot of the boys do. Um, it's, it's, it's so fascinating because I don't think everything came out. Eddie Guerrero, Chris Irvin, which is uh, Chris Jericho, they did an yeah. amazing job of, of bringing out what they did on Vice. And, and you get a whole new side of Jericho on this thing too because, you know, you see a human being um, that was distraught over this, okay? Yeah, the boys still have more information than we'll ever have. That locker room, you know, stuff doesn't come out of a locker room. I know. And you know something, Ricky, that that's both an admirable quality. And and Mike Murphy, you know, that being in sharing many locker rooms, you know, what what happens? It's like Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. That's both admirable, but it could also be, quite frankly, Ricky, a slippery slope, especially when legalities and life and death are involved. Because those boys don't talk, man. They don't talk. Listen, Bruiser Brody was murdered in front of a whole fucking room full of people. You just had his beautiful wife on, and nobody yeah. wanted to be involved. All skip that island faster than, you know, come on a gold tooth, dick. There's certain things that you can't talk about. And it, again, it goes back to the roots of professional wrestling were formed from the mafia. Okay. People forget that. The mob back wrestling. The mob guys back their own companies. Vince used to pay off guys in New York and Boston to be able to run shows in their fucking union buildings. It's sure it's a culture that was bred. And you know what? It is honorable to a way. And then in other ways, like I said before, you're you're watching a woman and child. Well, I don't know if the child was beaten, but you, you definitely know the wife was being abused, yeah. abused and nobody said a word. So there's well, no you know, Ricky, you, you Ricky, you brought you brought up a real good point, my friend. You know, it is like the the, the mob because it was in fact pro wrestling came from the carnivals and it came big time. Pro wrestling was backed. In full and in part by the mafia, and let's just call it a state of spade. Okay, Vince McMahon's father, Vincent, uh, Vincent James McMahon, or or Vince Senior, for a lack of a better term, built his entire company with mob borrowed money. That's factual. I can't make that up. I couldn't right. say it if it weren't true. You know, and I would dare say that Vince probably has some connections now. Again, that's my opinion. I can't prove that, but it's my opinion. So, Mikey, what are you coming up with there, Kelleher? Find their tag team name, but his name was Emily or Emil. Um, uh, oh, that's right. Yes. Emily Dupree or Emily. Emil Dupree. Thank yeah. you. Emil Dupree. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, so this guy comes he from promoted, He promoted and ran Canada, which is how Vince got in with him. He had control over the Toronto and Montreal markets. True. Which I, I believe now is uh, 
I think Hannibal owns it outright, does he not? Who knows? Did Devin, Devin Nicholson, no Hannibal? Yeah, no comment. Okay. I think I know where you're going with that. Okay. No, I just, you know what? I'm not a big fan of his shoot interviews, and I'm not a big fan of the lack of research he does to prepare for a show. That's all. Okay, fair enough. Again, that's that's your opinion, and you are protected legally because you have the right to your opinion. Um, Mike Kelleher. Yes, sir. What do you think? Is it just an all, all a big dink that Benoit's tag partner happens to be dead on the same day? Or you think there's more, more sinister, uh, nefarious shenanigans going on here at play? I'm curious how much contact Benoit and uh, was it Biff? Biff Wellington, yes. Wellington. Uh, I'm curious to want, uh, you know, how much did they stay in contact after their well, career? Apparently, Biff Wellington received a text messages from Benoit's phone mm -hmm. to his phone. Unfortunately, Mr. Wellington never got to see that because he was dead already. These were the same messages that... Um, exactly, yeah. Okay. And so let's talk about that. Somebody or some group of people had access to both Nancy's cell phone and Chris's phone, at least a couple of people, I think. Again, I can't prove it, but you got to think there were simultaneous messages delivered to at least four phones, verified, four phones, and that's not speculation, that's fact from a phone number where the guy was clearly dead and could not text it himself, clearly. So there, that's, that's one thing that just, I can't wrap my head around. And well, here's, here's Mike what Murphy, what do you think? Can you, can you make some sense of this for me, Mike? Uh, well, the, the uh, Benoit's partner, you know, was he murdered? Someone said he was murdered. Um, is it a coincidence that they both died on the same day? I think that's exactly what it was. I think it was a coincidence. Um, not only that, uh, you know, could the mob have done it or all? You know, first off, Benoit's partner got, was shot. Benoit hung himself. Uh, where if it was mob involved, first off, we know the mob has, has a... Uh, Proclivity for uh, 22s, double tap, back of the head. Yeah. You know, they don't. Mike Kelleher, <laughs> you know. do some research for me. Chris Benoit's text messages. Okay, Angel, can I cut you off for a minute? Please. Okay, well, I want to blow one theory out of the water right now because Biff Wellington died of a heart attack. He did not get shot. Okay, well, according to Yahoo News, he was shot. Yeah, I'm reading up right now in Calgary Stampede Wrestling. He was found in his apartment after his parents were unable to reach him for seven days. He was face down in the apartment later to be, have discovered he had a heart attack. Another gentleman who was probably built to be 180, 190 pounds who probably died at 225. That's why I'm okay. saying that's why I'm saying his death was coincidence. 
Well, we have two conflicting stories, both from credible news sources that say two different things. So, and his weekly page also said that he he died from a he passed from a heart attack. Also, it says. Okay. Go ahead, Mike. Forty-four years old. Yeah. I just uh, no. I I think it was, I think it was a total coincidence that they just happened to die on the same day. Mike Kelleher, what do you got? Um. So there's. It says there was uh, on early Sunday morning between three fifty one and three fifty eight a.m. Benoit sent five text messages to coworkers. Um. Do you want me to read them? Yes. Okay. So the first message went to two coworkers. Sent June 24th at 3.53 a.m. And it said, Chris Benoit's cell phone. My physical address is 130 Green Meadow Lane, Fayetteville, Georgia, 30215. That was the first message. Message two was to two co-workers. says, um, 3.53 a.m., Chris Benoit's cell phone. The dogs, the dogs are in the enclosed pool area. Garage side door is open. All right. Number Go three to so two co-workers sent on the 24th at 3.54 a.m. A minute later, uh, Nancy Benoit's cell phone was the one used. And it says, my physical address is 130 Green Meadow Lane, Fayetteville, Georgia, 30215. Okay. Um, and then the fourth one sent it a minute later at 3.55 from Nancy Benoit's cell phone. My physical address is 130 Green Meadow Lane, Fayetteville, Georgia, 30215. All right, and then number five is to one person, and that's three minutes after the last message. So it went from 355 to 358, and it says, My address is 130 Green Meadow Lane, Fayetteville, Georgia, 30215. And now, I want, I'm glad you did that because I want to stop you there. We know factually that the last message received was to Chavo Guerrero. Okay. We know that. Why then, my question, why would he need to be texted their address when he clearly knew where they lived and had been at the house many times? Nobody has an answer for that. I mean, is there... Is was there documentation that he had been to the house many times? Yes. Okay. Yeah. In fact, it was kind well, of a community where a lot of wrestlers lived also. Within a five minutes. True. Of that, there was a, 10 guys who all lived in the same oh, area. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Ricky's Michael absolutely lived right. Blanco lived there. Johnny Grunge lived there. DDP lived in the area. Well, had a home well let's talk about Johnny. Yeah, let's talk about Johnny Grunge, because you and I both knew Johnny and Ted Petty. We knew them well. Um, you knew Johnny better than I. I. I knew Ted probably a little better and longer than you. But that being said, there was a friendship between Johnny and Chris that a lot of people weren't even aware of until after he passed. Well, that came from woman. He was very close with Nancy. They, yeah. They were very, very close from their ECW days. And my understanding so is well that... Loved. 
I'm just saying she was so well loved. I mean, I brought this up to you last night. You said don't discuss it until tonight. Look at yeah. the shoot interview with New Jack, Honky Tonk Man, and Iron Sheik, where New Jack just breaks down and goes absolutely insane about Nancy and what a great woman she was and that that was his friend, fuck Chris. And, you know, what Chris did was, you know, he, you see a side of New Jack you don't normally see. So when somebody's that emotional, and I brought New Jack up earlier, this is a guy I don't give a fuck. He stabbed people in the ring. He'll cut your head off. You don't care. And he's breaking down crying over what a classy person this woman Nancy well, was. I'm, how I'm great gonna, of an individual. I, I'm going to break the New Jack myth, okay? I'm going to do something. I've said this on the show before, but I never elaborated. New Jack stayed in my house for two days, okay? He spent time with my wife and my daughter and myself for two days. I saw a side of Jerome Young that few people get to see because he's a real, I'm going to dispel it, so get ready. He's a nice guy, okay? New Jack's a nice guy. He don't want you to think he's a nice guy. He doesn't want you to acknowledge him as a nice guy because as Ricky said, New Jack is a lot like Ric Flair. He's, he's Ric Flair 24-7 and New Jack is New Jack 24-7. That's him. And Ricky, tell me if I'm BSing. That's no, I, I think the world. I, I I love New Jack, man. I, I the last time I saw New Jack, here's a funny story. This was about six years ago. I got a phone call out of nowhere in the middle of the day and said, "Are you anywhere near Brooklyn?" And I said, "I'm about an hour away." And he said, "Could you let me borrow a professional professional wrestling belt, a toy, anything you have?" He coaches youth football. And they were playing for the championship the next day, and he wanted to present the kids with a championship belt when they won. And I said, you know, Jack, the only reason you're getting me to drive to Brooklyn is because of the fact it's for kids. And I drove out and met him in the middle of nowhere Brooklyn and dropped off a belt. And, I, you know, like, I, like you just said, there's a character of New Jack. Is he crazy? Yes. Is he tough? Yes. Would you want to piss him off? Probably not. But there's also a side of him that's a pretty – pretty cool guy and a pretty nice human being yeah well i got to see the soft side i actually did a reading for new jack and i kind of blew his mind and as as well as it went and as much as he wept that reading got me heat with him and he hasn't talked to me since <laughs> because i tapped into the real jerome and let's be real clear new jack and jerome are two different people, Ricky, and you know that. Yep. And he don't like Jerome, but he loves New Jack. That's yeah. true. I mean, it's just, that's, look, there are some guys that are like, look, the ultimate warrior the, the went to such a level to change his name yeah. to warrior. Well, okay. I thought part of that also was like trademark reasons no. too. No. He was fucking nuts in the head. Well, I know that, but I, I figured, I, I always thought it was something like if it was his real name that Vince couldn't, like, own it. He changed. No, he owned the persona fucking nuts. He would talk about himself in third party, and he referred oh, yeah. to himself as the world. Oh, yeah. You know, and That's true. He, he was a weird one to be around. 
That's a guy. That probably the most disliked guy in the history of professional wrestling. Yeah, and he's we're getting way off course here. But now that he's passed away, he's become a fucking hero to everybody. You got the Warrior Award, and you got his wife presenting shit. Meanwhile, he hated his guts for fucking years. Ricky, stop there for a second, because brother, you just touched on something that's a real point of contention with me. A real point of contention. You just said it. He passed away, and now he's a beloved figure. With all the shit he did to Vince personally and that company as a corporation, and the money he cost them. But Chris Benoit, because of his circumstances, and again, again, there's no proof that he did this, but there's no proof against it it's still an open cold case i want to be real clear about that the chris benoit case has not been closed it's still open which tells me even the police have doubt now that being said the wwe wwf ricky over the years have had this policy of forgiveness, letting people back. They leave for 10 years, 15 years, they come back, they're welcome to welcome home. Welcome back home. Everyone yeah, can make a DVD off of you. Everyone except Chris Benoit, who has been eviscerated from history. Not true. Not true. There is another human being who they still make T-shirts and they make dolls of, but they never mention them, and that's Randy Savage. Ah, okay. Randy. And by all and accounts... That's a whole other show. That's a whole other show that and, you can do, and we have to get off the subject, but th that's another conspiracy theory. Well, we're going to talk about that during that show because I've actually been in touch with someone last night who knows Lanny Poffo very, 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 very well. And we may have Lanny on the show in about two weeks. Fingers crossed. Okay. Now, um, we've explored a lot of theories, a lot of conjecture. We've voiced a lot of opinions. We've named names. Of course, we can't prove any of it. And I want to make sure people understand this. These were opinions, conjecture, speculation, educated speculation nonetheless, but speculation. My question, I'm going to go around the, around the table with this, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. Starting with Mike Kelleher. How do you want to remember, how would you like history? Let me ask you this way, and I'll ask you all the same question. How would you like history to remember Chris Benoit and Nancy? Um, really, there's only there's only a, a very small number, whether it's one person, two people, three people, who know what really happened. And I think at most, there's probably one of those people still alive today. So we may never know the real honest to goodness truth and who am i to judge and to say 
you know, he did this, he did that, whatever. I want to remember Chris Benoit as the talented performer that he was. I want to remember Nancy as the talented um, personality and, and performer she was. And just leave it at that. Mike Murphy, how do, how do you want history to remember Benoit and Nancy? Uh, I would like to like uh, Nancy and Chris to be remembered uh, as their characters. Woman, the white rabbit Wolverine. Um, because like I said, I'm one of those people that what a person does behind closed doors is none of my business. Um. I think the whole Chris Benoit murder subject is, let's face it, it's a question wrapped around an enigma, wrapped up in a riddle. Nobody's ever really going to know what happened or what actually happened. And I think it's until one person that does know something, I think there is somebody out there that does know, until that person decides to come forward, it's going to stay a cold case. Yeah. But I also think that Chris should be remembered for the work he did in the WWE slash WWF. Because if you look at the Hall of Fame, look at some of the people we have in the Hall of Fame there. We've got a convicted rapist. We've got a chick who did porn movies. Stuff like, come on. You know, if they're allowed in, but what yeah. happened here? No. Well, let us also remember that there's at least one alleged murderer in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right. And yeah. that. Jimmy Snooker. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Okay. And I knew Jimmy. I knew him well. And Ricky knew Jimmy well. I knew him well too, also. Yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy was a very close personal friend. Yeah. But, uh, and we, and Ricky and I, both, in fact, speaking of Lanny Poffo, look who's calling. Wow. <laughs> How about that? Okay, I'll have to get that message later. Um, <laughs> but now, Ricky, uh, what do you think, kid? How, how will... Uh, how will history? How do you? How do you want history to remember Chris and Nancy? I'm going to give you my my wrap up speech here, um, all in one, real quick. I want to say thank you to everybody for having me on right now. This was a thrill for me. Excellent show. I loved it, and I can't wait to be back. And I also want to say, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, I have no respect for a man that puts his hands on a woman. In the least case scenario, he was a wife beater and a spousal abuser on multiple occasions. He lost his first marriage to it, and it looks like he killed his wife to it, okay? Um, it's a very sacred thing to me. I don't stand for it. I've done a lot of work with women's charities and stuff like that over the years. I'm still involved down here in Nashville, Tennessee, with a charity that, that homes women, uh, house, uh, rehouses women that are in domestic disputes and, 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 and abusive relationships. Um, right. I want to see, and I hope maybe we could start a little something online, guys. I'd like to see woman inducted into the WWF Hall of Fame, WWE Hall of Fame, as a pioneer and as one of the greatest talents in women's wrestling history. Uh, as a manager, as a character, and as a person, she deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for what she's done. As far as yeah. Chris, man, 
Charles Manson made good music with the Beach Boys, but we don't talk about him as a musician. He's a murderer. He should be remembered True. as a murderer, and he doesn't belong in front of he doesn't belong in front of kids. I don't want to see him on the WWE network. If that's the one thing they do to help alleviate the bullshit that happened in this world, and that's a child being murdered and a mother being murdered, he doesn't yeah. belong, and that's just my opinion. All right, I appreciate it. And by the way, uh, Ricky O will be joining us quite regularly. Uh, the next time I see you, Ricky, it will be on Thursday, April the 9th, and you and I will speak to our friend Jason Knight. Oh, awesome. Can't wait for that one. Yeah, I know you know Jason. Uh, and we have... Uh, Ask Jason's opinion, Chris. They shared a locker room. Yeah. Uh, and Jason Knight on uh, April the 9th, and the next night, you, myself... And uh, Mike Murphy, we're going to speak to our friend, the Metal Maniac, Jeff Miller. <laughs> Metal Maniac, brother. Yeah. The next time uh, Mike Kelleher and I get together, you and I will be speaking to Mrs. Wahoo McDaniel, Karen McDaniel, on April 14th. Well, now, wait April a you're, you're forgetting... That this Thursday we're recording the refs roundtable. Oh Rose yeah, tell everybody about the roundtable. What you got? Oh, by the way, a brand new episode of the roundtable went up today. As a matter of fact, tell everybody about that episode and and get them to watch it and tell everybody what you got coming up because I don't even know <laughs> and I own the network. <laughs> You're a busy guy. You're a busy guy. Um, I am. I got a lot on my plate. Well. This most recent episode of the Refs Roundtable, I brought in a, a guy I've known for almost 20 years. His name is Chris Keith, and he owns a promotion here in, in the greater Richmond, Virginia area uh, called UEW, United Elite Wrestling. And um, so we had him on, and we were just talking about different we, – we basically talk about the news in the wrestling world for the past week. We go over Raw, SmackDown, AEW – and then uh, we talked about the indies and stuff like that. So it was, that's what the conversation was about. And um, mm -hmm. coming up this Thursday, tomorrow, we're going to be record or no, two days from now, we're going to be recording an episode where, which I call the Road to Refamania in honor of Jeff the Ref. Yeah. Um, so we are going to have friend. our pick'em uh, episode. We're gonna go through yeah. the entire WrestleMania card and make our picks. Well, I would like if if you would oblige me, I would like you to do something for me. Sure. Would you include Ricky O in that pick'em episode? Ricky, would you be up for it? I'll do any episode. I love this stuff. <laughs> okay. Now tell tell I want Mike. I want you to tell Ricky what pick'em is. Yeah. So basically. I'll send out the card, the complete card that, that is as of, um, you know, I'll send it out probably Thursday morning. And you have to write down your picks for the matches and be able to talk about why you picked that person to win or team to win the match. And then um, there's no changing. There's no nothing. It's whatever's on your paper is is what, what you're – and what I do is just use Post-it notes and every match, I'll just hold up my post-it note. So that way it's it's out there for everybody. Um, but this is in honor of Jeff the Ref. We did this for one of the NXT pay-per-views. 
And um, that was the only one we actually got to do this for. But it Jeff was only got to do back. one episode, and he passed away two days later. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that uh, was I'll, rough. I'll be I, uh, to be part of it. All right. Yeah, and I and I want to. I want to say, I wasn't going to say this publicly, but I want to say it because you guys are my friends and people who watch this, they're my family. And uh, Ricky O and I haven't seen each other in a very long time. The last time I saw Ricky, he was in my home in New Jersey and he had both the ECW World Heavyweight strap with him, the, the real one. Wow. And he had Taz's. Uh, FTW belt with him. <laughs> and remember that, Ricky? Yeah, I remember coming to your home, man. It was great. I remember that. Yeah. And uh, and that's the last time we saw each other. And just by chance or circumstances or by divine intervention, I was looking for somebody with the same kind of knowledge that Jeff the Ref had. And Mikey Kelleher, you know that to be true. And uh, Lo and behold, I see Ricky O commented on a post that I wrote. And I thought to myself, this is a gift from heaven. So uh, I said, Ricky, funny thing happened, brother. <laughs> and here he is. So I want everybody uh, to know that. Hey, you know, Angel, it was, always, it was always fun. And I hope one day we could do a show just devoted to the tri-state area wrestling and the and the personalities that came out of that era. You know, oh the my God, yeah. and the and the Frank Goodmans and the Joe Pens, the Reno's fat Frank, God rest his soul. So many good people, uh, and so many scumbags. And um, I think we can have one heck of a show yeah. just talking about our friends. Yeah, our friend Gino Moore, Dino Santa, <laughs> yeah. Dennis Carluzzo. Billy rest in peace, you know. And I don't wish ill on anyone. I really don't. And I, I, you know, I hope God has taken care of Gino and Dennis. And I hope they hugged and made up by now. You know. Yeah. Um, but I, I got to tell everybody that, you know, things happen for a reason. And, uh, you know, and Jeff went home to be with, with God. And, uh, and Ricky is here. And. Thank you, Lord, for that. I appreciate it. Um, Thank you. I, I want everybody to know that, um, speaking of Jeff uh, and his family, we're giving a, a portion of the proceeds of every sale of Wrestling With The Future t-shirts to Jeff's mom. Um, she had a little bit of a, a financial hardship, you know, losing her son. And uh, so I want to encourage everybody. In fact, Ricky, I sent you the link and a, a picture of the shirt and my daughter. They're both gorgeous. The shirt and my daughter. And uh, Mike, shut up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Both mics. <laughs> um, but I want to encourage everybody to purchase a Wrestling With The Future t-shirt because it will go to help. Brenda Robinson, Jeff's mom, and uh, Mama Ref, and she's a, a, a very spirit-filled, God-fearing woman who is just. This woman has got the faith of the Rock of Gibraltar. She's amazing, this woman, and uh, and tell everybody uh, we have a Twitter. We are at Wrestling Future on Twitter. 
Facebook.com forward slash wrestling with the future. We are on literally, and I mean literally, every podcast platform across the country and soon to be on Twitch TV. We are already on Daily Motion and YouTube. But you can find just about all of our videos on Facebook as well. You go to Wrestling with the Future on Facebook. Our videos are uploaded as soon as they're recorded and edited, by the way. So, uh, and please uh, send us comments and suggestions at Wrestling with the Future at gmail.com. I answer everything that comes in, and I got a bunch of stuff that's come in. And uh, just some of the guests coming up. Um, you heard me mention a few, and I'll tell you a few more. We've got J.J. Dillon, Davey O'Hannon, Sal Carrenti, Jason Knight, the Metal Maniac Jeff Miller, Nikita Brezhnikov, uh, Karen McDaniel, Tony Villano, the uh, president of the International Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame, J.J. McGuire, the WWE Music Man, is coming back. On May the 5th, we've got the one and only Magnum T.A. joining the show. We will have a special roundtable on May the 7th, Thursday night. We've got Flying Brian Pillman Jr. on May 12th. We have got the Monster Factory, Danny Cage. Doc Simon will be back on May 19th, God willing, and Doc can figure out how to work his camera. <laughs> and we've got Flying Brian Jr. back on May the 26th. And it looks like we lost Ricky. I think he's there, but he just turned his camera off. Oh, okay. So, uh, with that being said, yes, Mike? Uh, also, one thing I want to bring up, Angelo, uh, for the for the uh, Wrestling with the Future fans, and uh, not to selfishly promote, but part two of the Armageddon in-depth interview will be coming soon. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. Yep. We got part one out, and then we've got we got so jammed up with like Jimmy Valiant and Jack Victory, and oh my God, and who and Pete Sanchez and Manny Soto, and oh my God, and the who's who of the old WWF. Yes. On behalf of Mike Kelleher. Oh, by the way, let's plug your television show, Legacy List with Matt Paxson, featuring Mike Kelleher, the stuff guy. Mike Armageddon Murphy can be seen on YouTube. Just type in Armageddon Mike Murphy. Ricky O can be found at his social media. Ricky, tell everybody where they can reach you. Very easy. Twitter is Ricky Otazu, R-I-C-K-Y-O-T-A-Z-U. That's my name on Facebook. On Twitter, reach out to me. Let's be friends. All right, friends. Till next time, Psychic Medium Angelo. Goodbye, everybody. Happy wrestling. We'll see you next time.